Well, good morning. I didn't hear you. Good morning. Y'all, I don't even know what to say, except that it's so good to be here. I see people, people in the hall like looking for seats. Man, if, you got, if you're sitting next to somebody super attractive and you don't know their name, but you want to date them, get them on your lap. We need, we need every seat in the house. We kept, we, now, now, if you do it, it's going to be awkward, so don't do it now. We kept warning, uh, we, we kept warning you guys via email and everybody that we could talk to that, man, get here early. Some of you got here ridiculously early, but some of you got here just a little too late. So I'm sorry about you if you're out there. Um, we do have about another 100 metal chairs, and we've got these, oh, I get it, I get it. Everybody look over here real awkwardly, that's the musician seat, so we had to save those for the for the musicians. I wondered why those were empty. Um, I want to start today by inviting two super special people to come up and, have, and say a few words that will hopefully sort of commemorate what we're actually doing in this room. If you, if you just wandered in and you don't know what's up, we have a lot of explaining to do. But, but Dr. McLennan and Teresa, please join me up here. And uh, there are two special welcomes that we want to hear today as we step into this new space. And I've got your mic right here. I call him Dr. McLennan because he's really, he's Chuck, but, but you know, Dr. McLennan. He's actually a doctor, so. Um, not medicine, so don't let me touch uh, There has been mission on the ministry. He's, he's also not a doctor of technology. It goes like this. Okay. <laughs> Good. There has been mission and ministry on this campus for 65 years and in this building for 50 and the transformations I've seen in the past three weeks as you guys have made this a new place for new life, they are amazing. And so on behalf of the people who have worshipped here for the past many years, uh, the congregation of the former Faith United Methodist Church, I just say, welcome. Thank you. I think Chuck, Chuck perfectly embodies the graciousness that has just taken us, it's, it's just taken us by surprise. Uh, it's no easy thing to let go of the space that you worship in. And Chuck, being the elected lay leader of this congregation, had the interesting and daunting task of bridging the gap. And Chuck was with me in this room working for hours over the last couple of weeks. Chuck is you will get to know Chuck. We love Chuck dearly already. Now, the next person we're going to hear from is Teresa Welburn, who is the district superintendent of the Capital Area United Methodist Church. I'll tell you more about her, but Teresa, let's hear from you. There you go. Thank you, Jason. My goodness, what a joy to be in worship with you this day. We're finally here, right? Yes. journey we have been on together. I mean, some of us have been engaged in conversations over many months. Um, some of you more recently have been swinging hammers and painting the walls and laying in flooring. And the day is finally here. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to see your faces. We have been waiting for you. On behalf of the United Methodist Church, it is my great honor to welcome you to the family. And 
um, you know, I was raised United Methodist, and I was taught at a young age that God's love for me meant that I was called to love other people. Mm. And that following Jesus meant going to places where there was hurt and where there was pain, because that's where God was, where there was need. <laughs> and to be in relationship with people that the rest of the world had either deemed unworthy or forgotten about, that that's what we were called to do. To say that God's love was for the whole wide world and to live our lives in such a way that that we made the world a little better. And then in the midst of it all, we might be surprised by our own transformation, mm. right? In recent years, the United Methodist Church, we've been trying to pay attention more to what it means to be in connection with what we call the mission field, the areas just on the other side of the wall of our churches. And we know we have work to do in that area. Because for a long time, we've prided ourselves on our, our worship. And we know that worship is an important part of being church, but it's by far not the only thing to just show up on a Sunday morning for a couple of hours. Hmm. That, that that's the beginning of a whole week where we strive to be the church by how we show up in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, even in our homes, to try to be the church all week long. Some of us have been learning about this incredible faith community that's called Austin New Church. And we find you to be a people that have a heart centered in Jesus and a heart that is turned out both locally and globally. And friends, we believe, we believe that we are connected and that we belong to one another. Chuck, Chuck gave such beautiful words of welcome to this place. And we know that this place is a vibrant place filled with incredible life. You know, long before I was ever in the role that I am now, um, leaders in the United Methodist Church have been wondering about and praying about this specific place. Because we believe that this is an area that's ripe and ready for amazing things to be done. We know that God hasn't given up on 78704 here in the heart of Austin. Amen. In fact, Amen. We, believe, we believe that God is very much at work already yeah. in this place that's buzzing with life. And we are thrilled mm. about a vibrant faith community that's ready and eager to join what God is already up to Amen. in this area. So again, on behalf of our bishop of the Rio Texas Conference, Robert Schnazy, and the more than 20 United Methodist Churches here in the great city of Austin. We welcome you to the family. Thank you. Now, you're clapping, but there's a but. What I was going to say is like any human family, we're not perfect, but we are striving to be who God is calling us to be, a relevant faith community in this day and age. Brene Brown once wrote that imperfections are simply a reminder that we're in this work together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm thrilled and proud to be in this work called church together with you. Amen. I often say at times like this, for all that has been in the past that has led up to this moment, thank you, God. Yeah. And for all that is ahead, that is God's future, may we say yes. Friends, would you say that with me? Yes. For all that has been. For all that has been. Thanks. Thanks. And for all that will be. And for all that will be. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. And she quotes Brene, y'all.
Trey, I could feel, I could feel Trey's brain going, oh dang, she just quoted Brene. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am to be here. Um, I'm not sure I've lost this much sleep since my graduating uh, quarter or semester in seminary. It's been such an amazing journey. I'm so excited. My name is Jason. I don't know half of you. Where, who are you? I tried to catch you all in the hallway, and it was so awkward because that hallway is funny. It's like a small street. You, you, you park double on that, and nothing goes through, and so... I want to get to know all of you. I'm one of two full-time guys here on staff. We're a complicated staff. We're kind of a flat org line, if you're interested in those things. Um, but you'll be hearing from me. I just, I, I'm just so excited. If you were a member, that's because Trey's phone is left on, right? And we just identified every person in the room whose phone is on. All right, let's have a conversation about technology, y'all. We did not drop big bucks to put in a state-of-the-art PA for your phone. To, and I'm just joking. <laughs> this is going to be too much fun. If you were a member of the previous congregation that met here, you might recognize the silhouette of this building. You might me- recognize the shape. But I'm guessing you don't recognize much of what's inside. We've changed almost everything. For most of us, this is a major day of celebration, a big day of celebration. It's a strategic move that puts our geography dead center over where our heart has been for a while. We are very much an 04 church. We have been for a while. And this marries those two things, our ethos and our location. But I just want to acknowledge, if you are from the faith congregation and you're here in the room and you're going to give this a shot and you're going to tolerate our noise and you're going to deal with the changes that have happened, I just want to acknowledge that this is a day of mixed emotions probably for you. Okay, we can do those. Disney taught us how to hold two things in tension, inside out. You didn't see it. I know you didn't. See, for A and C, this is all new. This is all promise. This is all forward motion. But for some, there's pain and there's loss involved in this chapter. And I can see that. But many of you that I have spoken to have been praying for us for years. It's so bizarre to look back and realize that someone has been praying for you while you were praying. We have prayed down doors in this city, and we could not, with tractors, kick open a door in this place. And then something happens, and everything changes. And so as you've prayed for life to come in this place, we have literally prayed for, we didn't know it, but this place for years. There's a lot of life left in this building here in 2701 South Lamar. I was texting with Laura the other day. Laura Merrill, wave at us. She gave us a reading. Laura is our special assistant to the bishop, and a dear friend, um, I was texting her the other day that it just feels like this building has a voice of its own when you fill it full of people. Something, so there's, there's, there's life left here, y'all. I can feel, can you feel it? I can feel it. As I woke up this morning, I rewrote my whole sermon. <laughs> I hate that. See, Jen and I don't prepare that way. That's how Brandon does it. Jen and I don't do it that way. I want to know Wednesday what's going on on Sunday, but this week has been one of those. I think Wednesday I was here till 3.45 a.m. with Mac. Or maybe it was Thursday, or maybe it was sometime. But there was no conventional space to prepare. And I got up this morning and I realized it was all wrong. I had to start over. But I woke up with three very important things in my heart of, that, that I'm excited about. Number one, this place, y'all, this place. I know brick and mortar has nothing sacred built in, but there's something special about this little hill on South Lamar. Look how beautiful it looks. You guys, we've never had kid space. Like the hair on the back of my neck stands up when we walk into a place that's actually dedicated for little crumb crunchers. We've never had it. 
Our little ones have been in an office at, uh, at Bailey Middle School for years now. We've never had anything like this. I'm so excited about this place. I'm actually excited about the sound system. You guys, what sound system? We didn't even notice that. I know you didn't, but it's so important to us because this room, let me just warn you, we're going to use this room on Sunday mornings, but this room is going to be used throughout the week. We've set this thing up so that people will play this room because this room is a magnificent, will be a magnificent listening space in the landscape of Austin. We've been dreaming of that forever. We sit around over cups of coffee and we talk about this stuff and it never seemed like the gap would ever be jumped until one thing fell into place and the next thing fell into place. I'm so excited about this place and I'm excited about this team. You guys, Trey and I are not the same people. But I can't even begin to tell you the trust that I have in this man after spending hour after hour after hour seeing everything through, every little detail that you probably didn't even notice. You didn't notice it because we made absolutely sure that this place was ready for you. And Allison, my wife, who's not here because she's manhandling whatever the chaotic nonsense that this many adults creates. Trust me, it's out of control. If you don't hug the kid worker who's looking after your kid after this because they missed our first service, hug them by the neck. My wife is trying to figure out how do you flow through a glass breezeway and not clog the thing and how do you put labels on all the doors and what even are all these buildings and what do we call them and who's got keys and all of this stuff. And Shay, where are you, Shay? Are you up in the balcony? Yeah, where's all the kids in our church? All the teenagers wave at us. Yeah, that's gonna get out of control real quick. Yeah. So the team, you know, Trey and Shay and Allison and Stephanie and Nathan and Mac and all of you, Lamar, your dedication to this place has just been amazing for me to watch. These kinds of challenges is what makes a team. There's no team till there's a game. The game makes the team. The championship makes the team. This process, you guys, I realized about January 1 that we hadn't hired a foreman. I'm sure glad I took that class in seminary, construction foreman. Every tool I own is in this building somewhere. I don't know where. Every paintbrush I've ever collected in 30 years is... Now in the dumpster, because I'm not going to clean up after you guys, but this has made us a team. And hat makers, you guys, you know we're here because of your courage. You know we're here because, because you push and you dream and you envision. And it goes from white plus gray plus wood equals perfect. And I thought Brandon was crazy, but look at that wall. Look at this place. It's going to be gray chairs on gray carpet. I thought, how drab is that going to be? They're right I have always said this for the last five years. I want to know what he dreams because he sees things that we don't see. And Jen creates this trickle valve of flow through to where we can shift right and shift left and the building is always going to have new faces because of what God has given us in the hat makers. You guys, this team, I can't even describe. I feel like I've won the life's lottery. I don't believe I actually get to do this with my life. It's been so much fun. You guys have taught us how big the table is that God sets how post-tribal the gospel can be, how we will all be pushed into those spaces. But I have to tell you about this team. This team consists of some fantastic new people that I'm coming to absolutely adore. You see, we have a preschool here that's been going for, what, 50 years? Jill, where are you, Jill? I lost track of you. Stand up, Jill, wave at us. Jill Varnell, y'all. Jill directs the preschool that has been a source of life on this campus forever. Is there anyone in this room? Watch this. You're going to get a kick out of this. Anyone in this room that went to this preschool as a kid? There's one. Riley, wave your hand. Come on now. 
Are you waving your hand? All right. There's generations of people in this neighborhood who have come through the faithful ministry of Faith Preschool. Jill, you're on our team. We're going to count on you. We're going to join you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lock arms with you. And that's not the only thing going on. Collins, would you wave at us? He reminds me of Phil Donahue, y'all. <laughs> I know he's never heard that. Most of you guys are like, Phil who? Just never mind. He used to have a long mic. Remember, he'd run up and down. Anyway. Collins directs an award-winning environmental, sort of a nature-based after-school program that happens here. There are zero TVs in his space. Those kids who come after school spend one day of their week in the green belt. Have you ever heard of anything cooler than that? There's a bunch of people. This parking lot is full of cars coming in and out. We have a bigger team now. We have a bigger, Charlie Parker, where are you? I saw you. Austin's biggest AA meeting happens here on our property in, in this big building back here. It's incredible. We've got AA, we've got NA, we've got Al-Anon, we've got Sanctuary. Where's Eleanor? I lost track of you, sweetheart. Where are you? Wave at me. Stand up. We can't see you. Eleanor leads. She leads a respite ministry for those who are care providers for adults that are dealing with Alzheimer's. And I'm not sure if it's just Alzheimer's, but you guys have to get here and see it. You have to join that. You've got to volunteer. It's the sweetest thing. If you've ever cared for someone, it's relentless and it's 24-7. And about five hours in a week when you can drop your loved one off and go do something else with your life. Like, why didn't we think of that? That's brilliant. What I want you to see is every one of these things are exactly the kinds of things that ANC would be about. We've inherited an amazing team. I'm excited about the place, I'm excited about the team, and I'm excited, and I'm just gonna geek for a second. I'm excited about being connected to a family, to an uplink with Teresa is our first point of contact. She's genuinely excited about us, and I'm genuinely excited about being part of something that God is doing in this city. We are no longer the ones out on the progressive branch pushing the envelope. There are people in this city who can outpace us in terms of Wesleyan theology and being progressive and reaching this town. You guys, what a team, what a family, what an amazing place to be. I have to say what I'm feeling this morning is just undiluted excitement. Lack of sleep, kind of excitement. (laughs) My body's keeping score of all the long hours. I've lost track of the 12 hour days, but my spirit leaps every single time I turn right into this parking lot coming north on Lamar, every time. Every time I unlock these old doors with chains around them, Every time I set foot in this sacred space that we're going to eventually call the listening room. So profound. You'll be able to see concerts here on weekend nights, but on Sundays we come and we listen to each other and we listen to God and God hears us. Second work of carpenters, the very first day of the year. Where's uh, where's Ernest and Chris? First day of the year, we had barely begun the new year, and here we are with hammers and chisels ripping out the stage, getting a jump on all the work. It's taken carpenters. It's taken carpet layers. It's taken electricians. It's taken floor scraping teams and chair assembly teams and shiplap teams and painters (laughs) and audio engineers and networking specialists. And Wade has practically lived here. Julie, I'm so sorry you haven't had a husband all month. And Nathan Swan has been buried. I can't even begin, you guys. This is such a special time, and I guess what I'm trying to say is welcome to all of you. Welcome to all of you. If you're excited, if you're sad, if you're just curious, if you're expectant, welcome one, welcome all. We follow a Savior who sets a magnificent table. He just does. I have to admit, I've fallen in love with this place. I really have. That, as you can see, is already too small. How practical is that, right? 
so much legacy. I promise I will be a historian of all the things that have happened on this site. I'm already gathering that information. But there's so much that has happened here over the years. It's just, it's just more, more than, than, I, than I feel like I can take in. Here's what I want to do. I want to begin by telling you just a little bit about the story of how we came here, and then we're going to get into the word. Last fall, we came out as a congregation. We had our little come-to-Jesus moment, and we decided what kind of church we wanted to be. After lots of study and prayer, it was time for us to speak clearly that we intended that all would be welcome in this place, to join, to serve, to volunteer, to lead, Regardless, that's the kind of church that we wanted to see. Long story short, that strategic decision put us at odds with what was, until that point, our denominational covering. November 1st of last year, as of November 1st, I was a full-time employee of the Free Methodist Church in North America. I was the director of their ministerial development and credentialing office, and I traveled most of the time. That was my primary job. But this little decision changed things. You see, we had now positioned our church in Austin on that very weak leg of the stool that put us at variance theologically with the mainstream of that family that I dearly, dearly, dearly love. But we were just too public, too far forward. We were just a little too far left. But for us, the time was right, and we felt compelled to come out of that closet and go on record as an inclusive congregation to include the LGBT community of our beloved city. And so my position dissolved. I resigned after a single phone conversation. It was a sober and prayerful decision, and it was abrupt. But for me, the transition was seamless. You see, the time was perfect for me to step in as a full-time pastor here at ANC. But my very first concern was waking up the day after was that to what shall we tether? I'm over the untethered church. I grew up in that church of many stripes. We're the kind of people who need a bishop. We're the kind of people who need some order because we're always running hard and we're always running fast. And I woke up that next day and thought, I'm just going to Google the United Methodist Church. And I began to discover some links. Brandon did the same thing. Before you know it, we both converged on a single contact, and her name was Teresa. For me, landing in the UMC makes absolutely perfect sense. Now, for, for, for those of you who are bored with this detail, just humor me for a second. Theologically, I am an unashamed Wesleyan. I actually happen to think that Wesleyan theology perfectly positions us to reach a postmodern, a deconstructive world. Never mind about all of that. Chuck and I can geek out on that for hours. Never mind about all that. Doesn't matter to you, but there was one logical move for me within the Wesleyan branch of churches, and it was to the progressive wing of the United Methodist Church. I knew I would land, and I listen, I know about the storms rising in General Conference 2020. Listen, I'm a reader. I understand the commission on the way forward. I know that our bishop serves in that space. I know we've got decisions to make coming up next year, followed by the following year, General Conference. I know this may not go the way we think it's going to go, but something of a progressive Wesleyan branch will emerge, and I want to cast my, my lot with that crowd starting now. And so that became this conversation. So we began to meet at radio. Some of you know that's my office unofficial office. Some of you need to stop going. You're kind of wrecking it. <laughs> I go there to study and to get away from you. Next thing you know, there's seven of you. That's no, a joke. But Teresa and I began to have coffee, and I began to feel resonance, and I began to feel a harmony, and I began to feel camaraderie, and a mutual respect, and a mutual blessing, and a mutual vision for this great city. It felt like a homecoming. I don't know how to say that. It's only been 45 years of wandering, and I feel like we're coming home. 
I met Laura Merrill the first time when she gave a dynamic word, our first clergy training thing we ever did at Life in the City. She preached about Ezekiel's field of dry bones. And she said something I've never heard, and I'm a preacher's kid, and it's hard, it's really hard to surprise me when talking about the Bible. With movies, yeah, I'm not with you. But she said something interesting. She said this. She says, you know, it's amazing that we pray for those dead bones to rise to new life, but don't expect them to be what they were. Don't expect them to fight the way they fought. Don't expect them to fight the battles you fought. New life is going to happen out of old things. And something in me said, yes, I want to be with this team. I want to be in this space. Time was right. We made our decision. We did not know. Listen, we tried everything thing to find a place in, in up here. I was going to say Chicago. Up here in Austin. That's, that's terrible. That's been 10 years. We, we tried everything. We tried everything to find a place, but it wasn't until we took a brave step of courage that said we might be risking everything we've ever accumulated. We're going to leverage it on behalf of what we see as a social justice issue. When we did that, the doors began to open, and let that be a lesson to all of us. Door number three is not going to open first. It's going to be door number one, and it's often going to require courage. Anyway, one thing led to another, and here we are. Honor doesn't even begin to say how I feel about what God has entrusted us in this place. And now guess what? Our invitation is to do what every saint's invitation has ever been in this place. And that is to not assume that maintaining this model is the mission of this church. We're in an intoxicating cultural district of America's coolest town, but this building is not about any of this. This has always been about them. And we're going to have to hold to it, guys. We've always been church out of a box. It's not easy. It's not difficult to just know that you exist for mission when you set up your church and you tear it down. It's going to be different now. We're going to have to watch the DNA, Brandon. We're going to have to watch it, Trey. We're going to have to keep our eye on the wheel so that we don't just become a church that maintains a cool, interesting, monochromatic, old and new space on South Lamar. Because that sure would be fun and it sure would be easy. But that's not why we're here. So that's my intro, Jen. I think I'm out... (laughs) I think I'm out introing Jen these days. Right? The one detail we forgot, we forgot to clean the construction dust off the stool. You see that? Anybody see that? These are the things that drive the boss crazy. Brandon and I are still shuffling tables around this morning as we pull in to try to make the place ready for you guys. Let's pray, and then I want to jump into the word. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you here in this place. We have such gratitude for your goodness, for the way you guide us, for the doors you open. We're so undeserving. We're so grateful. And help us hold it all loosely in your name we pray. Amen. We don't have a clock in here either, Trey. Yeah, it's too cool to read. It actually isn't practical for reading time. It's just really an accessory. So this is the third Sunday of Epiphany, and for those, of a, those of the, uh, from the ANC crowd, you may not even know what that is. But today's lectionary theme is all about repentance. I don't know if you read ahead. It's about repentance and making the way clear for God to do something fresh. How ironic is that? First text comes from Jonah 3, and I'm not going to dig into all of these because we don't have time. But it tells the story of an interesting prophet whose missionary call was to the people of Nineveh, who of course he hated. The prophet reluctantly agrees after trying to run the other direction, you know the story, reluctantly agrees to go and preach. And here's the thing, he knew that God was merciful and that they would likely repent, and he didn't want to do it because he knew that God would forgive this wicked people that he so loved to hate. Jonah 3. Then we read in the Psalms, chapter 62, 
where the psalmist writes about don't trust in your own plans, don't rely on your own hand, know that God's plan is the only way forward. Don't rely on yourself. It's always only been about God. And then the lectionary takes us to the epistle of 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul writes of a coming day, that we should assume that our current notions of permanence, maybe you're starting to see a theme here, our our working understanding of what is and how it may forever remain, our notions of permanence ought to be questioned because everything is now on its head in the kingdom. It will all fall away, Paul will say, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And then our gospel reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1. Just to drop us into the story, this is after John was arrested and Jesus begins to preach publicly after being prepared for 30 some odd years to open his mouth and speak those words. Jesus begins to call every soul within earshot to repentance. I sure wish he would have had this PA. He could have really built a church, right? Oh, you're not, you don't want to laugh now. We're too serious. <laughs> I was sure the APD was going to arrest us at 3 o'clock the other night because Matt can't just put on, you know, a Twyla Paris tune. <laughs> we had to go. Anyway, Jesus begins to repeat begins to preach, but what, what I want us to notice is, is that Jesus, as he is always prone to do, begins to not only build, but he begins to innovate on top of that thing that comes before him. So the message of repentance is not a new message, but he's going to innovate with it. You're starting to see the pattern? You're starting to see why this connects to us today? You see, we're not here to do something that's never been done. We're building on a foundation that has been laid in this place by faithful people. You understand? You understand what I'm trying to say? Buildings don't float in the air, guys. Buildings stand on foundations that somebody poured. And you may not see it, but it's there. Jesus begins to preach about the kingdom. And he marries it to some interesting ideas. And let's just call this repentance 2.0. He's going to reinvent this. See, in Jesus' message, repentance has a peculiar partner. He talks about repentance and good news in the same sentence. Mark 1.15 reads this way, the time is fulfilled, this is Jesus saying this, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And this might be one of the reasons why Jesus flies under the radar of those who by very nature and vocation were dedicated to be watchful for his arrival and he sneaks it in. How does he do it? They're looking for the wrong thing. He's marrying a message of brimstone with goodness of God and watch what he does here. You see, repentance is not new, but good news is new. God was not calling Jonah to go to Nineveh to pronounce judgment on a people. He wanted to act in mercy, and he needed a messenger. And I think what Jonah could not conceive of at that time is that the message that he was preaching and proclaiming to the lost was hopefully in time going to actually convert his own soul to was going to deconstruct the hatred and the lack of love in his own heart. You see, it's the kindness of God that leads us to yield, that leads us to surrender and to repent. Hurling a prophetic message of judgment upon a people who are wayward from God gains God nothing. He needs a people who can be converted by the message of love and want to see the world turn their hearts to recognize that God is hopelessly in pursuit of them all. Let me say it as simply as I know how. We need to repent, all of us. I'm going to level the playing ground. I don't care how long you've been in this building, if it's your first time. We need to all repent of making whatever news we preach something less than good. 
You see, you might be here today, you might be on the preserving side of faith, right? Meaning that you're trying to build a new air into an old mold and you're begging God to resurrect old bones to do the old work that you did when you were young and you're just pumping air and you're thinking, God, if you're faithful, you're gonna see me resurrect the old mold. You might be on that space of faith today. But what you're peddling then is not good news. It's old news. It's history. It's lovely. It's part of a foundation, but it's not where things are going. And like manna, it can't be preserved. You can't can it, preserve it. You can't bottle it. You can't sell it every day. It's new every day. It needs to be new. But you might be on the opposite side this morning. You might consider yourself an innovator, not a preserver. You might think that monochromatic, beautiful rooms with amazing sound is the greatest thing God will ever do. And we're just going to do this forever, and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to hope Willie comes and plays our room. And we're going to connect it to all the cool things going on in town, and that's just going to be amazing. You might be on the innovating space, but listen, it takes more than just a moment yielding to the Spirit. It's a lifelong journey to say, God, do with us what you will. You see, the gospel that we have for the 78704 part of God's universe is going to need to convert us on the way. We're going to have to release and hold things loosely. It's funny. Why is it that judgment... And condemnation is just so easy to preach. Why is it so easy to hurl words of condemnation and judgment? Jonah was all about the bad news. He just didn't want to preach the good news because he knew God was good. If you don't believe me, read the final chapter. He's literally angry at God and he's yelling at God and he's saying, I didn't want to preach because I knew you'd forgive him. Can you imagine having that conversation with God? Which makes me wonder, how does this book end up in our Bible? Well, there are those who would say it doesn't belong there. In fact, Jonah never quotes, never says the word Christ, never says the word Messiah a single time in word, not for the fact that Jesus quotes a sum total of four Old Testament prophets, among them being Jonah, we probably would have cut it out and said, ah, it's a story. It's an awkward story about a, a fish and a dude who was a really reluctant, maybe the worst missionary ever, right? <laughs> Dot com. Check that out. That's actually a really good podcast or a really good blog. Why is this even in here? I think Jesus knows the humor. And if it wasn't for the fact that we were so exactly like Jonah, it may not serve our purpose at all. But here we are. It almost perfectly describes us. We're clenchers, guys. We cleave. We hold tight. We see something and we build it and we hold tight as if, as if that's the last thing. Don't think because you're under 50 in this room that that's not gonna be true for us. It will be true for us. Someone will empty the closets of what we cherish one day to do a new thing for God in this city. Can you hold space for that? That's us. Trey's already over 50, and he's pulling us with him. I can feel it. I can feel it. Gravity's winning, and he's pulling us over the hill. We're still rising. We're all still on the shy side of 45-ish, 6-ish around there. He's going to tug us down with them, guys. We're not going to be the new people long. Here's what Jonah knew, and here's what we know, and here's what we must remind ourselves when we gather, that sin is no barrier for our God, that death is never final, that no one is too far gone for the long arm of mercy and forgiveness of our God, that distance from God was never a thing. It's pure mythology. It's based in fear, and it was never a thing. How can I say that? Because Jesus proved that God is near the broken. There is no gap to cover. Jesus closed that gap. Distance from God is not a thing. And it's always been this way. Let that sink in. 
You fill in the blank with whatever people you dislike the most, whichever ones provoke you the most, whichever ones exacerbate you the most, and look out because you'll probably end up seated next to them at this long banquet table that God is setting. And now we're hovering over the central metaphor of the gospel itself, you see? It's the mechanism of action if you're a doctor. It's the, the, the hinge, it's the point, it's the main thing. What is it? It's that the long history of this playful, redemptive, loving dealings of God with human family is always about welcoming, always about bringing us home. There is no exile that's too far that God can't bring us back to the place that he envisioned us. But there's a principle. And one, thing's follow, one thing follows the other, and here's what it is. He does his work by asking us to release and to fall to the ground and die so that something dynamic can get up from the dust and breathe again. I feel like I'm preaching your sermon, Laura. There's a principle. We've got to let it go. We've got to step away. We have to let God raise new things from ashes. He's going to do amazing things in this place. I don't know if I can even see what that is. I have some ideas. But he's not going to do it because he likes us more, because we're louder, because we do things different. He's going to do it if we release everything we bring and we say it's not enough and we know that, but you are for this people. You are for this city. And the only reason we want to have a footprint in the 04 is not so that Austin comes to our church. They don't fit. Look around you. Not, in, not interested in doing 10 services a Sunday. I've been to that church. I'm not interested in everybody coming to our church. We want to be in this place because God is doing magnificent things already. And this offers us a way to stage our people so that we can be converted by the gospel we preach, that we can be transformed by the love that we receive and that we freely give, that we can hold on to nothing, that we can release it. This is an, an amazing thing to be entrusted with. And guess what? I give it back to God today. As much as I love it, as much as I have dreamed about this, I am reminded that this is the size of the smallest youth room at the church that I used to be employed by. It's no thing to fill buildings, y'all. It doesn't even take, you don't even have to be sober to fill building, buildings in this city. It's not that big a deal. I release it. I let it go. And my prayer with you this morning, if you can pray this prayer, is God, do something with us. Do something with us in this space. You see, we are at our very best, but seed that God wants to scatter. And I just want to collectively pray a simple prayer of yes with you this morning if you are willing to sign up for that because it's not about this. It was never about this. It's always been about the broken and the poor and the outcast and the outsiders and those who have not been given dignity and those who have not been given a voice. It's always been about them. If you want wind in your sails, put your sail up where God is already breathing. Don't build a structure and beg God to come fill it. Put your sail up where God is already moving. And my heart pounds for the 04. I've been sitting in this coffee shop in the tail end of the 04 on Manshack and Ben White for four years because it felt right, because the people felt right, because the demographic felt right, and it's exciting, and it's, it just felt like the space. And here we are. But trust me, holding on to it will corrupt us. We have to let it go. Does that resonate at all?
We have to let it go. Untold things can happen in a place when it's fully released. And it's that process. It's that hinge. It's that moving part. It's that single concept that God raises new things out of dead things. Who's willing to sign up to die this morning? Would you join me on your feet?